0: Hello, everybody. I'm Rob Snyder. Welcome to Radically Normal. Today, we're going to do an overview of Genesis, the study of Genesis, and the reason it's the foundation to the beginning of the Bible. Hi, everyone.
1: This is Michael here, and I'm also here with Andre, and today we're talking with Mr. Snyder about Genesis. And just a little background, I first met Mr. Snyder through a friend, and we... He ended up mentoring me and discipling me and just teaching me the scriptures essentially for the first time, and I really got to know the Bible and know Jesus so much deeper because of him, and now we're going to have him introduce
2: himself. What's up, guys? And with a new person, that means we have a new college, a new backstory, and we just wanted to give Mr. Snyder a chance to introduce himself to everyone so you guys know who he is uh, before he dives in with us to Genesis, and he has a lot of cool stuff to share, so I'll pass
0: it over to him. Very good. I'm Rob Snyder. I've known Michael for how many years now, Michael?
1: It'll have been over four years, I think. Yeah, four and a half.
0: So I am married to a beautiful, wonderful uh, woman named Candace Snyder. We have three amazing girls, uh, 122, 120, and 118, all at the University of Arkansas. Um, So I'm in a season of life. I'm about to be an empty nester. Uh, I have been a believer since 1981, May 1st, 1981. Uh, going on, uh, mercy, it's a long time—39 <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> years—and uh, just uh, have just have the joy of being a, a student of the Bible, and uh, just love doing that. I, I'm, I'm a member of Prestonwood Baptist Church. Been teaching a married adult class for about 28 years now. Wow! Uh, in college, kind of like you, Michael, I was uh, just had the fortunate uh, fortune to. Uh, disciple guys and led Bible studies uh, throughout college. I was the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for four years, so I love ministry. I love hanging out with you guys. I got to meet Michael through through my daughter and uh, just a great fellowship, and I just really enjoy our time together and love teaching the Bible and love learning the Bible.
1: He had the unfortunate experience of going to UT, though, so as a Sooner, I'm not sure that that was the best moment of his life.
0: You know,
2: UT was almost... I almost went there. I even had my my room selected and everything kind of made it last second to go to Georgia Tech at the last second. But speaking on your love for the Bible and that kind of thing, I know you listened to our interview from last week with Tommy Nelson. So what was like kind of your favorite point on that? It was kind of a proud moment for us to be able to interview him.
0: Okay, I'm very jealous. I love Tommy Nelson. Tommy is uh, one of the foundations of of my faith. And uh, I listened to to Tommy all the time. Even as a fifty-four-year-old guy, I still listen to his uh, his teaching, his sermons, his sermon series. Uh, I love the I, I love your discussion about uh, the books of the Bible and how he studies and how he reads the Bible through all the time. I love your challenge on his top five books. Uh, we're very similar to my top five books, uh, starting with Revelation. That's that's the, one of the obvious. And uh, it was a great. You guys did a really good job with your interview with with Tommy last week.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank
2: you. And just on the Revelation thing, you know, Mike and I have been coming to a, a Bible study type thing that Mr. Snyder has been teaching about Revelation. So that's been really cool, too, to get to know to see his thoughts on Revelation along with Genesis. And, yeah, you're teaching Revelation 13 this Monday,
1: right?
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, it's a, it's a very uh, important, pivotal part of the uh, the text. Pretty fun.
1: Yeah, that should be good. And I'm, I'm glad I'm the one that's getting to learn and not having to prepare it because that's, <laughs> that's a confusing book. Uh, And I actually just got back from Jackson Hole, and when I first was going to Jackson Hole for my first time uh, about five years ago or four years ago, I told Mr. Snyder, and he said that was his favorite place ever.
0: My mom and dad were both raised in Wyoming. Uh, We have a cabin in in, uh, Wyoming. Jackson Hole is maybe my top two or three places in the world, so I was jealous. We were actually going to try to squeeze a trip out this year, but it didn't work, so... uh I'm very jealous you got to go. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, we might get to go this fall, maybe see the uh, the fall color. So. Yeah, so,
2: guys, we're just really excited to get into Genesis, and basically what we're going to do is try to give an overview of how uh, Genesis is really just the starting point uh, for the story of the Bible, and uh, Mr. Snyder has a few points on why he loves Genesis and why Genesis is important to him and why he thinks that uh, college students and just really anyone trying to get into God's Word should really focus in on Genesis learn to love Genesis, and learn how to study Genesis?
0: So my joy when I get to teach the Bible and kind of the passion, especially the guys that I like to listen to, um, I like to be a student of the Bible. There's so much information that God wants to tell us. And so when doing so, uh, I just want the Bible to come alive. Um, Teaching the high school Bible study probably about 10 years ago, we had a girl that came in and uh, everybody told her we had a really large group one night and we're in the backyard and uh, they told us that she's going to be an antagonist and you could just tell this girl had been crushed and so her idea of God was just was punitive and so uh, when I was preparing for the talk and I was I was ready for her critical questions because they said she's going to try to make a scene and so come to find out she uh, she her her first thing she said you know I don't believe in, in God the way you do I think he's a deist the reason is because if God created this earth then he doesn't love me because there's so much pain, there's so much suffering that comes in this creation. And so if he's there, he's either a weak God or he's a punitive God. And so and I think that's a uh, misconception of who God is. And I think what happens is to understand that we are broken people, we're broken vessels. Uh, The Bible is very good, and, and God does an amazing job of addressing who he is in his pursuit of us as, as a humanity and to see that how God created this creation as beautiful as intended it with uh, with uh, just the, the beauty of it and God calling it good it, to me is a great start and so typically as Michael knows and both of you guys know Andre you guys know when you're in our Bible study a lot of times I start no matter if I'm teaching second Peter first first uh, Peter if I'm teaching uh, John or if I'm going back and teaching Revelation I start in Genesis and the reason is because the introduction the book really tells us so much about God. And without that foundation, if you have new people in that you're studying, if you don't understand the foundation, how God created the earth and how man fell from the intimacy that he had with God, then I think you miss the character of God. And so so that's why I like Genesis so much.
1: Yeah, that sounds really good. And I definitely think it's foundational as well, not just for the creation in the fall, but then we also see how God establishes His covenant through Abraham, and then through Christ, we see the blessing go to all the nations that God originally promised. So, just jumping in, if we're thinking about Genesis chapter one, what would you say are like the key things to be thinking about?
0: So, Genesis chapter one we see is really the introduction to God, and you, you're going to see most people understand in the beginning God, and so we see that the 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 book starts with the beginning. It goes back to where this earth began. Uh, a lot of people don't believe in the creation story. I truly believe in the literal account of the creation story. I love that it starts with God. We see the Trinity in chapter one. We see the six days of creation. And at the end of each day, we see that God comes into each day and he comes into this chaos, into the darkness. And what does he do? He starts separating. And it's almost a picture of what salvation is. He takes what is, you know, what is secular, what is broken. And God enters into that, that chaos and he separates and brings order because he is a God of order. And he's also a God, the ex-Nilo God, is, he's also a God of creation, creates something out of nothing. So he comes in this chaos, he separates it, and he has, uh, he has you know, day and night, and he, you see the separation of this. And as he continues his separation these six days, he saves his best for for last. And we see in chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, and notice the word God. That's Elohim. That's a creator God. It's not a personal God. God introduced himself as the creator God. And he, and, but also look at love and, ch- and verse 26 says, then God said, let us. Okay, where does the Trinity come from? A lot of people say, well, the, the, ver- the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, all of a sudden you got a plural pronoun, us. Who is he referring to? Who else? Who else was there? Well, no one else is there besides the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see this, and Bible will un, un, unravel this kind of this uh, idea that you know there is the Trinity in creation. The Spirit was hovering over the earth. We see the creation. We see that Jesus in Colossians says that he created the earth, and so like, going, okay, this is pretty stinking cool." Okay, so we see the order, and then he comes back to his great creation, verse twenty-six: "Let us make man." in our image, the Imago Dei, okay? This is what separates man from the rest of the beasts, the rest of creation. He says, let us make man and let them rule over everything that he just created. So not only did he give man the planet, but he also, in chapter one, he gave them to be able to rule over everything on the planet, so he made man the viceroy, the victor over all the earth. And then everything he did, and all of a sudden, he says, and then it was very good. So God had a, you know, his creation was very, very good. And then we see in chapter two, as it transitions over, the focus is not just on the creative order, but it's really on, this is the anthropology, the study of man. Where did man come from? And then we see, and, and you guys, I, you know, I, I have three girls. I love the idea of teaching guys what God has called us to be because not only did he make us in his image he created us equally but he also created us distinct and so with this we say in uh, verse uh, verse 7 then He, then the Lord God and you see a different different name What what's different about the, his name right there
1: right so Lord is in all caps even
0: though the O-R-D are a little bit smaller mm-hmm. and then that's referring to Yahweh that's exactly right so all of a sudden the name changed we see in verse 1 up there the word God, Elohim God And all of a sudden, now we see Lord God. What what do you think that means? What's the difference between the two?
1: I think one of the big differences there, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the differences is that we're seeing God's personal interaction with humankind, whereas with the beasts of the field and with the vegetation and anything else in creation, there was not that personal relationship that God was trying to form with humanity. That's exactly right.
2: And I think one of the really cool things about creation itself is, God as creator shows how he's Lord over the world and over us. But then also the, his purpose for, for making the world and for creating the world and creating us was to glorify him. So his original plan for our, us to be able to glorify
0: him the most was to have a relationship with him and to have him be Lord over us. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Andre. So I love the differentiation of that because we're going to see in chapter three when Lucifer, Satan, enters the scene, he's never going to refer to God by his personal name. He calls him by his generic name, which is a really big deal because if you don't have a personal relationship, then you don't have the idea of who the Lord God is, who Jehovah God is. And so we see in verse seven, then the Lord formed man from dust from the and from ground and he breathed into his nostril this is a creation this is a picture of salvation also so when you see in Ezekiel when we talk about the dry bones remember the valley of the dry bones
1: chapter 37
0: absolutely he got it and so the valley of dry bones we see this is a creation story it's also the picture of salvation that God takes something that's dry something that's dead in our transgression we're, we're we're dead to sin what can dead men do Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, exactly right. So, so here comes out of the dust. Uh, word Adam means dirt or dust, and so he names him dirt. And so, so out, of the, <laughs> which is very appropriate for all of us, right? And so we're just dirty old guys, right? And so he takes man from the dust, and he breathes life into him. And this is where life comes from. How does man have? Why does man different from the creation? Because he's breathed life into man, created in his image. And the difference between us, as we learn through the Bible, is we have a soul that we're separated into three parts. We have the physical person who we are, we have the spiritual person, then we also have our soul. And our soul is made up of three components, our mind, which is our ability to think, our, our emotions, which are our ability to feel, and our ability to choose your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so all those are the three concepts of what makes the soul, which makes us different than creation. And that's what enabled us, God to create us in his image. And that's enabled us to be able to choose to do that. And so, and then continue on, just real quick, trying to hustle through chapter two. The Lord planted, a, and the Lord planted a garden. Verse eight, and now the garden. Verse nine, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to sight and good to eat for fruit. So, so the God who planted the garden, God. Yeah, exactly. And and notice how good God is. He just He just didn't put some trees out there. But what did He say about the trees? They'd be good to eat, and they'd be fruitful for them. That every tree was pleasing to the sight and good to eat. Okay? And the tree of life within the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he's, he's going to call out two trees. OK, and so this is going to be a concept that I always want all the Bible students, including myself, to understand. OK, God is going to be really um, God's a visual person. I'm a visual learner. I like to see pictures. OK, I like pictures in my books. I like to I like movies. I like this. I like this idea. But God is painting us a picture. And all of a sudden he's going to call out two trees of all the trees in the garden. He's going to call out two. And we're going to see down in. Um, He's going to see down in verse 15 that God's going to do something a little bit different. He's going to take those trees, and we're seeing verse 15, that the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to keep it. To cultivate and to keep it. All right, so he gave man a job. Okay, now this is before Eve, okay? Eve isn't has not been born yet, okay? So this is man. God put man in the garden, created him from dust, breathed life into him, points out two trees. And he puts him in the garden to cultivate, to protect, okay? As a a daddy of three girls, and Michael and Andre, you guys know my girls, as a daddy of three girls, and as as a husband to Candace of 27, almost 28 years, this is our job. I love teaching men Bible study. I love teaching guys who are 20 years old, getting ready to walk into faith. Because if you can underline these ideas, he's going to teach us the three things that God gives man ability to do. He created us. To to have authority on the earth, gave all the creation under our feet. And then all of a sudden he gives us a job. And what's the job gonna do? And this is before woman is even woman's not even created yet. And I love it. God took man and put him in the garden to cultivate and to protect. Okay. To cultivate. What does cultivate mean? To build up. Absolutely. And so so here comes here comes your offense, all right? You guys like sports. Here comes your offense. He says the first thing you're gonna do, I'm gonna create you to build. I'm gonna make you a builder. I'm gonna create you to cultivate, create you to to do something pro, proactive with it. And then I'm gonna and then I want you to keep it. What's what does keeping mean? To protect or sustain? Yeah, here's your defense. You got offense, you got defense. And then the third thing he's gonna give him to do is he's gonna have instruct. You give the instruction to Eve, and so he's gonna be a guide. So as men, the three things that we have to do is to understand. To understand if God, your relationship with God, God created us to be builders, to cultivators, to be protectors, to keep it, and to guide. Okay? So my role as a dad, my role at work, you know, I sell medical equipment. I have a lot of people working underneath me. So to be a good boss, to be a good leader, you write the same idea. God created me to do three things, to cultivate, to protect, and to guide. So we see this right here in Genesis. Pretty cool, right? It's awesome. And then verse 16 all right he's gonna point out the tree again he's gonna he's gonna create a rule and what's he gonna say uh the lord god commanded man saying from any tree of the garden you may eat what's that word what's that next word freely all right is god a punitive god remember no okay remember remember that girl i said in high school let me go, i'm gonna keep referring back to her because it, it it haunts me to this day just seeing her eyes to see what happened and uh to see this god is not punitive Look at all the things that God created that man can freely eat. It was good to the eye. Okay, created in his image, gave him dominion over the earth. Okay? And all of a sudden you see all that God so God does not look too punitive here, does he? And so we see this and that you may freely eat but verse 17, okay? But God to remind man that man is not God. He's going to give him one rule. How punitive is the rule? Andre, want you to read that? What's what's uh, verse 17 say?
2: But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil
0: you shall not eat For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die okay understand you shall surely die what what does you shall surely die mean you're gonna die yeah, you're gonna die it's <laughs> not maybe die you know god might be okay with this you might not happen to die but you shall surely die so so what we're gonna have is we're gonna have two paths everything in life comes down to these two trees in genesis God's going to show us two trees. He's going to call out two trees. He's going to call out man and woman. So the study of anthropology, the study of man is going to come down that God created. He's not a punitive God. He's a loving God. Everything he's have, he blesses us with. Okay. He, he's given us something to do. Okay. didn't leave, run around here just to play baseball all the time or just hang out all the time. No, no, no. I want you to cultivate. I want you to protect. I want you to guide. I want you to cultivate a relationship with me. I'm coming down to enjoy you thing, but to remind you that you're not God and I am. I have one tree. I have one rule that you cannot do. You you can play on that tree. You can do anything, but you can't eat from that tree. And if you do... You shall surely die. Okay, and so in the picture throughout all the Bible, you're going to see two paths, you're going to see two trees, you're going to see two common things. And getting back to Revelation, we just study this when we get to Revelation chapter 20, 21. In heaven, how many trees do you think there'll be in the in, in the Bible? There's just the tree of life. Exactly right. Okay, so man's way doesn't make it in. Okay, so God's going to show you. Here's your visual that's going to show you a couple of trees, and He's going to remind you, I got my way, the secular way, the tree of life. And it's, going to be, and it's going to be good to eat, and it's going to give you a lot of blessing. But if you have to do things your way, and we're going to see that throughout the rest of the Bible, we're going to see man try to create religion. It doesn't work. You're going to die. He's going to create politics, government. It doesn't work. You're going to die. He's going to create relationships inside. It doesn't work. You're going to die. And so all of a sudden, you have two different paths. You have two different trees. The knowledge of good and evil, that's man's way, man's choice. That's the secular. Okay, that's a humanistic worldview. Okay, always remember that. Or you have the theistic worldview, God's way, God's best for you. And that's the one tree, tree of life. Okay, and both create consequences. Tree of life, abundance, blessing. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Okay, so that's basically that. And then we see, get, we won't get to spend too much time. He takes woman from his side, verse 18. What does it say there, Michael?
1: It is not good that the
0: man should be alone. Okay so so here's the first time that God says something wasn't good. what wasn't good man's alone. Exactly right. you know why? We're not very good by ourselves, right I need a helpmate. Trust me you know you know Candace, you know my wife all right I need a helpmate okay so so my imperfections, the things that God did need to me, He created a helpmate. Now does that mean she's weaker? No. No, exactly right. So do you think Candace is weaker? Heavens? No, she's the, she's actually, the, the two of us, she's a lot more valuable to me. She's a, you know, she, she plays a bigger role a lot of times in our family, but God created a helpmate, okay? And this is also going to be the typology of the Holy Spirit, okay? The role of the Holy Spirit is to be the helpmate. Does that reduce the role of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, in salvation? Yeah, think about it, Andre. What about in salvation? What does the Holy Spirit do? Yeah, it's, it's vital, so it doesn't diminish that at all. Yeah, In my house? Trust me, the weekends that Candace is not here, it's vital that she needs to come back soon, please. And so so here comes the idea <laughs> of the of the helpmate to be suitable for him, okay? So so when you guys are in your dating role and when you guys are, are choosing a, a life mate, a helpmate, you can't just find the prettiest girl on campus, okay? What you got to do is find someone that's suitable.
1: I do think Tommy Nelson said don't marry an idiot, so it <laughs> goes with that.
0: He, he definitely did say that. Well, he, he has credibility. Times. He can be that blunt. I don't have any credibility. So I, I can't be that blunt. And plus some of my girls might get up. Well, I agree with you. You can't marry an idiot. So that's you can't do that. So. so all of a sudden we see that guy, they go back and they start naming things. Why is that important, do you think, that he's naming things?
1: I think it's. Ushering in or showing the dominion that was first shown in chapter 1.
0: That's exactly right. It goes back to, so so Candace, and my wife, she took the name Snyder. And why? Because God gave me what they call headship. That's for another topic for another day. But it's the ability that I am the lead, and everything that comes in under my lead, under my authority, is is, is sometimes as crude as that sounds, God made one to lead and one to come underneath the head, okay? And so when God gave man the ability to go name something, he gave the authority over name when you give something a name that means you have the authority over that so he sees a tiger and he calls it a tiger he has authority over the tiger he sees an elephant he calls it an elephant he has the authority over the elephant so a name when candace coming to her her last name was emig e-m-i-g and when i came to her asked her daddy for her hand in marriage we had the covenant day we had our marriage december 12 1992 yeah, we do, and till death us you do part. Thank you. We walk down the aisle. You may kiss your bride. What a great day that was. All of a sudden, they said, I introduce you as Rob and Candace Snyder. So you
1: talking about marriage reminds me of in Ephesians 5 when Paul talks about how the there's a mystery to marriage that basically shadows or echoes the mystery of the gospel and Christ's relationship with his church.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And so, what? You, especially being married 20, almost 28 years, you'll learn that, okay? You learn that God uses relationships, earthly relationships, friends, discipleship, and specifically marriage, and double specifically parenting to understand your relationship with God, to enable you to understand how hard life is, but also how good life is, okay? So to do things right way, understand the blessings of god and the joys of god to do it what he calls us to do it or you can try to do it on your own and trust me guys you'll you'll mess it up every single time oh, i'm sure we would <laughs> so we see the super helper suitable and the two become one flesh and so i mean those are topics and long bible studies we're hustling through here trying to get to the overview of this that is in very important so does god look punitive yet no, for sure not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. P- pretty, pretty good, God, right? So going back to that girl in the backyard and say, Mr. Snyder, God, I'm either a deist or an, I'm an atheist because I, I, this world the way it is right now, it's not like that. God didn't create it like this. This is our earth. He gave the rule. He gave authority for us. Chapter three. Okay, so we see this. Now all of a sudden we're gonna say, Who's there? Who's there in chapter three, verse one? The serpent. So, so the serpent... Which, yeah. which,
1: that actually reminds me of your lesson in chapter 12 in Revelation, yeah. where... Uh... Basically, Satan is named different ways, and the ancient serpent was one of them.
0: That is exactly right. So we're going to see the character. So we're going to see that actually, the Bible Isaiah comes back and talks about the fall of Lucifer. So the Bible actually we see the the fall the 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 start in Genesis chapter one, but the Bible actually goes before Genesis chapter one because all of a sudden here comes a serpent. Something's going on with this dude. All right, so he's there in chapter three. Like, how did he get there, and why is he there? Well, the Bible does a really good job of unveiling that. So in chapter 12, remember, we talked about that throne room in heaven and Satan's kicked out of heaven. Like, what's he doing in heaven? OK, and we see in Job chapter one where Satan has access back and forth to the throne room of God, like going, why would he do that? Well, God's a creator. He can do anything he wants to do. All right. So so the issue for us, for the glory of God and for the for the glory of Christ and, and the Holy Spirit, to see the Trinity come to work and see humanity. It's just a great story. And to see that the the serpent is in the garden is part of the design. Okay? Everybody good?
2: Yeah, and I think one really interesting thing about that, how Mike was saying about Revelation 12, when you pointed out that the serpent is the deceiver, and just looking at chapter 3, when basically... God said, eat of that tree, you will surely die. And the first thing the serpent says to Eve is, you surely will not die. He's surely
0: not going to die. He's going to take that. Exactly right. Yeah. So
2: it's just cool how it kind of all ties together between Genesis to Revelation, all in between.
0: That's exactly right. So, So we see as he goes into it and we see the interaction. Okay, so remember when in chapter two, woman wasn't created when the rules about the tree were given. Why is that? What do you think that is?
1: Well, a guess could just be that it would have been Adam's responsibility as the head to share the knowledge of basically God's moral law and covenant with them, to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so basically it's his responsibility to pass on what they were supposed to do.
0: Absolutely. So so remember my cultivator, my protector, and my guide role as a husband and role as a daddy. It is my job to make sure my girls understand who Jesus is and what the Bible says, who Jesus is and who I am. Okay. It is my job and my understanding to make sure my wife knows these things. Okay. So if I'm not cultivating them spiritually, I can do it physically, but if I'm not doing spiritually and emotionally, then I am missing out on this because where Satan is going to attack us is on the spiritual end. Okay. And he's going to attack us on the emotional end. Okay. Ever known any high school girls or just emotional wrecks, train wrecks? Most of the time, those girls, probably didn't have a daddy who led them. Okay. Most of those ideas and most of that dysfunction comes from a a home life that was unstable. Remember my example, I just keep referring to, come to find out when I pulled her off the side Candace and I sat down with her that night, the first thing I asked her is who hurt you? And she says, I don't know you well enough to tell you. And come to find out over a 45 minute conversation, it was a relative who called himself a Christian and was abusing her. This is an issue, the dysfunction of this earth, the pain in the earth. God gets the blame, but it's not God's issue that gave it the blame for. God created in a world of, of good, but here comes the deceiver. And he has, he has his motive is to kill, to steal, and destroy you, me, and everybody around us. Okay, so for us, if we go in this world and we're... we're we're in this idea that we can go out all alone. It's, it's going to be really difficult. And guess what? You're going to lose. And so for me, that's why I get excited. You guys are so excited about the Bible. You're understanding why it's so important. That's why I like to start in Genesis. Here's your, okay, here's God is. Here's who you are. This is what God called. Most guys your age do have, have no clue why God created them. Okay, so here comes the opportunity. Now we see this and all of a sudden we also see the enemy of God. And he's really, really good. Remember, he's in the throne room of heaven. Remember, he was the archangel. Okay, he was the he was the anointed cherub. Isaiah calls him the anointed one. God calls him the anointed one. Okay, he was outside the Trinity. He was he was number BCS number four, rated number four because of all the angels. He was under, they were under his authority, and he was so good he deceived one third or however many of the angels there's debate on how many but a lot of them came and fell became demons he took a lot of them down in the presence of the throne room of god
1: you talking about the importance of the family and you just leading your family kind of reminds me of both in genesis and in first and second kings just thinking about the generational influence of people walking in a godly manner just thinking about the line whether that be from Abraham down to Joseph, or that be um, the sin of Jeroboam basically affecting the rest of the line and the sinful kings of Israel?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because you look, I think you guys talked about in, in uh, Tommy. So he said the, the whole northern kingdom, there wasn't a single good king in the northern kingdom. They were Jewish, they were under the covenant, but there was not a single good king, okay? They were all destructive. And then all of a sudden in the southern king, I, you got about 50% of them were good kings. And so you had so many of, uh, of the restoration of, of the kings that go back in the family. But if you look through the entirety of the Bible, that's what's going to happen from Genesis after the fall. You're going to see God's instructed, remember, cultivate to protect and to guide. A lot of times we forget the guide. Deuteronomy chapter 6 raise up I mean you're talking about raising up the family and the the, the daddy is supposed to be when they when, when they rise up when they and when they lie down you're supposed to teach them the goodness of God and give them his instruction of God okay so they go through all this punitive and all the very next generation most of the time they're kind of bad look at king david what do you think about king david king david is a man after God's own heart look at his kids he was a horrible daddy okay and so we see these things because what happens a lot of time we cultivate our own heart but we don't cultivate the next heart, and that's and that's to me. So if I if if I ha- if I Lord takes me down and it's time to go and they have a funeral, I hope and pray that there's a lot of people at my funeral, and I hope and pray my kids can say really good things about me. And I hope the first thing they said is, my daddy represented Jesus, and he introduced me and showed me the importance of that. That that's the greatest thing a guy could ever say about the next generation.
1: Right, and so the serpents trained to essentially deceive Eve but then she ends up with a twisted view of the scripture anyways because she says she can't even touch the fruit and God
0: never said that so we're gonna see here comes where religion kicks in all right we're gonna see what happens with the religion all right you get a knock at the door and all of a sudden you open up the door and it's one of the cults okay what they're gonna do they're gonna take a part of God's Word and they're gonna either add to it or they're gonna use the same thing Satan's doing right here is gonna take a take a partial truth and he's gonna accuse God of not being fair Okay, And then he's going to call him a liar. God did surely say this. And he's going to just twist a little bit of God's truth. So if you look at the truth, it's like, yes, he kind of said that. But all of a sudden, Eve is going to start adding to that. But the thing that I noticed, okay, being a daddy and being a husband, where's Adam? He's kind of passive and not doing much right kind of apathetic right so so Eve yeah so, so, so uh, and, I, and I don't remember who it was but it might have even be Tommy when he taught on this thing I, I just like it he said one of his friends came back and they said what what do you think Adam was doing they said well some theologians think that you know this is part of it and and he was just wait but uh, Tommy said one of my friends I think it's Tommy one of my friends says I think he was baked to see if he would really die <laughs> like going oh no so so the issue is all of a sudden here comes passive Adam and, and, and so teaching a Bible study, a married adult Bible study for 20, almost 28 years now. There's a lot of destruction going on. And when I get a phone call, and I get several phone calls a year of guys, that the marriage is messed up, someone's moved out and stuff, and it's it gets really bad. Yes, inside the church, it gets really bad. And what happens is the man did not cultivate his wife's heart. The man did not cultivate his own heart. And either they're growing two different ways or Satan's come in here and he's created some type of wedge in this family and there is so much dysfunction, there's so much hurt and so much pain. But what happened is most of the time, somebody didn't grow. Somebody's not following the rules. And we're seeing this right here. So Adam's somewhere, he's somewhere right next to him because he ate too. Okay. But who, when when God called him out, who did God blame? Who did God go to? Did he go to Eve or did he go straight to Adam? Spoke
1: to Adam, but thinking of the dysfunction in the family that you were talking about it's interesting that god asked adam what happened did you eat the fruit and then adam says oh that woman you gave me she she took the fruit and she ate it so kind of like man just pointing straight at the woman and
0: blaming her my tendency is to blame one or two things is to blame somebody else and or blame god the woman okay so he threw her under the bus that you gave me Threw God under the bus, <laughs> like, "Oh no. come on, Adam, you can do better than that." But the issue is, and that's what happens. So if you be thinking life. When there's an issue in the family, when I sit down with the husband, we'll go to Starbucks or something like. "Going, okay, what happened?" Number one, blames the wife. It's never his fault. Number two, blames God. No, I'm I'm covenanter. I got to do this. I got. I told God till death us depart. part, and so so we're going to see the same concept is we don't like to take the blame. But what happened? What was the result of the? What was the ha- result of the fall? So
1: in verse 14, it says the Lord God said to the serpent and basically cursed the serpent, cursed the ground that man, man and woman would work on. And then essentially he gave what most of us would say is just like the first prophecy about Jesus talking about the one that would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise Jesus' heel.
0: Yes, exactly right. So, so a couple things before we get to that, I'm probably running long on time, but before we get to that, I, I wanted to show the, f- the first thing that came in. We're going to see four emotions. Chapter, uh, verse 7, 7. 3-7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. What does that mean, naked?
1: Well, they didn't know that they were naked, but now that they know that they don't, they're not covered or they don't have any clothing. That's exactly right. They knew they were naked.
0: And so here comes the first religion. First, first Baptist uh, sowed fig leaves, okay? So here comes the first <laughs> religion. They start to cover themselves up, okay? So they recognize something happened. So that all of a sudden, we're going to see shame, verse 7. They knew they were naked, and they sowed fig leaves together, and they made themselves a loin cover. In verse 8, and then the Lord, and the sound of the Lord God walking in the in the cool of the day, and the man hid himself from the God. All of a sudden, there was shame. There was fear. Chapter 4 says there was anger and depression. So, so the fall of man, and we're going to see all these things fall, the curse comes. I will hustle through this. The curse comes to God, and God from God to to Satan, to woman, and to man. Okay, what was what was Satan's? What was his? What was his curse?
1: I'll just read it. Starting in verse fourteen, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head
0: and you shall bruise his heel. That's exactly right. And what's what's the woman's curse, Andre? What's the next one?
2: The next one is, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children.
0: Okay, so we've had three girls. I've seen pain up front, (laughs) up front and close and personal. I didn't experience it. I witnessed it. It's painful. Okay, so the issue of the pain, so he's going to remind them, and then what's the big one to man? Okay, it's long. What is it?
1: Just summary. So summary, you've ate ate of the tree, so the ground is cursed. So your Mm -hmm. work is not going to be easy, but now it's going to be toilsome. And then thorns and thistles are going to come from the ground, and uh, you're going to eat the plants of the field. And essentially, you're going to return to the ground because you were taken out of dust and you're going back to it.
0: So Ken, we have kind of running joke in the house. So come home after a really hard day, and it, it was a really hard day. Ken said, how was your day? I said, TNT, thorns and thistles. TNT is, is, is the purpose of the fall. And you think about it, think, who dies first, the husband or the wife? The husband, my, my granddad's and my daddy. I mean, my dad died 12 years ago. My mom is healthy. She'll probably live another 10 years, Okay. My granddaddies—they—they—they they, they died. One of them thirty years prior to my grandma. One grandma, and the other one twenty-five years. Okay. Wow. This is part. This is a reminder. I, of the I curse. think.
2: I think women have a longer life expect, expectancy just typically than men too. Just they do. The board. They do. A
0: lot of this is because of this is our curse. Why? Because we're we're passive and we didn't participate and we didn't lead well. Okay. So part of it, our work is going to be hard. You guys get a job. It's called work for a reason, four letter word. It's going to be hard. Okay. So really that's a summation of that. God was gracious. He kicked them out of the garden. Didn't kill them. Didn't kill them. Did not kick them out. He gave them covering. God came in, gave him cover, and kicked him out. Why? Why was that important? Think about this. Why is it important? What's, what's, in, the, what's in the center of the garden? What's one of the trees? Tree of life. Tree of life. What would happen if they're in fallen form? They had the tree of life. they live forever, separated from God. Okay? So what happens is God kicks him out of the garden. He brings them outside of the relationship, creates cover for them, and Genesis chapter 4 it all starts over again okay so just real quick going through the summary is we we see the creation of God the study of God who theology what who God is we see the study of man how man was created and given his rules and given his authority and given what he's required to do we see the covenant of marriage and then we see the fall okay so so going back to my my analogy this world was not created this way it was the keys were given to man and man got usurped by Satan, and all of a sudden now we have the fall, and now the result of the fall. So all of us are separated from God. The seed of rebellion is inside of us. So I don't have to teach my kids to be bad. Inherently, they are bad. We have to teach them to be good, okay? Same thing with you guys, okay? So so going through that, we see Genesis chapter chapter 1, 2, and 3 set the stage for everything. It gets so bad that in Genesis chapter 6, here comes the flood, Okay? What did, what did God say kind of wish I wouldn't have done this okay so God takes everybody out but who
1: but Noah and yeah and his wife and then his sons his three sons and their wives so just those eight right
0: okay so so you guys you guys do Bible study right you guys have people come in and you guys are doing a podcast you have a ministry all right think about Noah's ministry how many people were in his church First Baptist, Noah. Six. Six. <laughs> Six. Yeah, so, so you got Noah, his wife, his three boys, and, they're, and they're, there's a total of eight in his, in his church, right? And so so that was all that made it on the ark. But how awesome is God because he's going back to his covenant he made with man, and he's keeping the bloodline going, because remember the promise he told, we didn't even get to that part. The promise in chapter three, he promised the seed of woman would crush the serpent's head. So here comes the gospel. The gospel was started in Genesis chapter three immediately after the fall. So if you look in in all all the times that man rebels and God responds and man rebels and God responds, man really, really rebelled and God responds with the flood. But what did he do? Think about it. He come back and he takes the elect. Here comes a picture of salvation, right? He takes one family and he called Noah righteous. Was Noah righteous? Noah had some character issues. All right. A lot of character. What about his boys? Were they righteous?
1: Well, it's actually kind of interesting that you talked about Noah's righteousness, because in the same way that Adam and Eve were ashamed because of their nakedness, he was shamed because of his.
0: That's exactly right. Okay, so so the issue, that and that's exact, so so you're going to see a parallel track that's going to run down through the entirety of the Bible. Okay, so you're going to see two ways. You're going to see man's relationship with God is going to be broken, and man's not going to be able to maintain it. Okay. And all of a sudden, God's going to supersede. He's going to come in, and he's going to rescue them out. So that here comes a picture of salvation. He's going to take a wood instrument. He's going to bring it back up and raise his elect, his eight people of the elect of God. And he's going to create this idea, going to keep his bloodline going going all the way back to Adam he's going to create he's going to find righteousness with with Noah it's not that righteous but it's righteous enough for God and God chooses him he saves him and starts over again and starts a line so we see the, the flood take place and then after the flood we see the, the my next favorite scene is uh, let's flip over to Genesis chapter 11 what's Genesis chapter 11 Tower of Babel Tower of Babel why is Tower of Babel important why do we need to understand the Tower of Babel So there had just been
1: one language on the earth and there had been unity, but then the people basically, just like Eve and Adam, I guess, who wanted to be like God, they want to be like God, but that doesn't go so well for them. That's right. I think
2: the one thing Mike and I were talking about on the drive over here was from one of our previous episodes about sin, one of the definitions we gave was wanting to be like God in kind of a not good way. And it kind of just parallels how Adam and Eve wanted to be like God by eating of the tree of good and evil. In the same way, they were trying to elevate themselves by building this tower to also be like be like
0: God. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, home run on that. So we see here it comes again. Now remember, this is less than two hundred years after the the flood. You think Bible study? You start with eight people. Do you think you can tell the story to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation? Do you think they would understand the flood? Well, this isn't too long after the flood, and all of a sudden we're going to see in uh, chapter four, uh, chapter eleven, verse four. It says, "Let us come build for ourselves." Notice the change. Where is the glory going to God? No. No. Is, is, is there? Remember our two trees again. Okay, but they've he's already wiped out the entire earth, but eight people. Okay, so so granddaddy Noah or however far back is is telling the stories. And all of a sudden we're going to see they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city, a tower and a top. that will reach to the heaven and make for ourselves a name for ourselves. And look at all the ideas. They want to be to build a city for themselves, a tower for themselves and make a name for themselves. Okay, what do they want to do? They want to usurp God. All right. They want to supersede God. And so we're going to see they're going to come back. And I love and then verse 5 and lord came down to see the city all right what a great picture okay god came into the garden here comes god who's omniscient understands everything and he came down to see for himself and what did he see
1: essentially saw or the lord even said himself he said they are one people and they all have one language but Basically, they're being evil, and if they are all unified in this, it'll be too evil, so I'm going to disperse their language. That's
0: exactly right. So we see, just quickly, we see that all of a sudden it's going to come out, and we're going to see 70 tribes going to be built out of this group of people. Okay? Why that number 70? Why is that important? Is it
1: based off the number of seven, like completion?
0: So it is somewhat, but you think about it. How many disciples did God call out? He had the 12. And then how many did he have with him to follow out the rest of the earth? He had 70, okay? So what's going to happen is he's going to take this idea. We have the nations are built right here. We have one tribe, which is Noah's tribe, goes back to Adam. And then all of a sudden, here comes confusion. Here comes rebellion. But God says be fruitful, glorify, and fill the earth with the glory of God. So he's going to go out and, and glorify the earth. He's telling them to go out. They want to go out and build. So here comes rebellion. So he creates. There's going to be 70 tribes that are going to come from this. When he calls the prophets in the New Testament, he's going to send the disciples out. He paired them up. and then he said, And then he sent the 70 out. Okay? So all of a sudden, this is going to be a response to these people. Okay? And where do they go? And they went all over the earth, and when all of a sudden we see Pentecost. Michael, we talked about this a little bit earlier. What is this? Is the actually the, the Pentecost is actually coming into this chaos and reversing it? How do you think that would be just the reverse of Pentecost for Babylon?
1: Right. So at Pentecost, one of the one of the troubles with sharing the gospel for the apostles would have been that the languages, like from the Tower of Babel point onward in history, were all confused, so that a language difference was a barrier to the spread of the gospel. But just as God uh, takes the chaos and creates order out of it, he took the diffusion of the language or the separation of the languages and created order, and through the gift of tongues at Pentecost, he allowed there to be unity through the spread of the gospel. It's just the
0: complete opposite of what Satan did, of the purpose that they had to do, because in verse 6 of chapter 11 of Genesis, he says, uh, the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They all have the same language. And now it has become to do what they want to do, then there's nothing which they purpose they can do will be impossible for them. So the issue is he understands unity brings, there's, there's nothing they can't do. So whether you're teaching in class, if you got a bunch of guys just mucking it up, what do you do? You separate them. So what God did here, all of a sudden you get back into Acts chapter 2, what's he going to do? He's going to take that confusion. And all of a sudden it's going to sound to the world it's confusion. But what do they say? These guys are drunk, right? Remember, the, the world doesn't understand us, and all of a sudden, he's going to create so we can hear in our own native language. That's the miracle of Pentecost. He's going to take what took place in Genesis chapter 11, and he's going to come back and reconcile it again. God, Jesus said in, in Colossians that he's reconciling all things back to himself. Pentecost is no exception. Here comes the confusion. Here comes all that. And all of a sudden, we get to Genesis chapter uh, 11. That's the birth of Government. And that's the birth of religion. And we're talking in chapter thirteen of Revelation. What happens is, especially in chapter seventeen of Revelation, we're going to see two visuals. We're going to see the harlot and the beast. Who's the harlot? The harlot is religion, and it refers back to Babylon. Okay, and then the beast. Who's the beast? Okay, the beast is God. I mean, is Satan? Excuse me. And he come back, and now that's the government. So you see, prophet, priest, and king. We're gonna see the priest is religion, and the king is the beast and the government. Now you're gonna see one world religion. So now we're seeing that God or Satan is gonna come back in here and enter this chaos because now we have false religion, we have false government, and the rest of the Bible is broken out. So we get to chapter 12 of Genesis as we get to chapter 12 of Genesis and we'll see the idea of who God is and what does he do? What does he do in chapter 12 of Genesis? What's different about Babylon? You have chaos. You have confusion, scattered them out. What does God do that he did similar in chapter six?
1: So just as God took the one faithful, he took Abraham, who he didn't count righteous because of his works, but because of his faith, he called Abram, who, whose name ended up Abraham. And then just like we saw with Noah, we see the picture of the elect and the, the grace in election. And then essentially he established his covenant with Abraham in chapters 12 through 17.
0: Was Abraham a righteous man?
1: Well, not before his election. Yeah, Abraham's a knucklehead,
0: just like Noah's a knucklehead, just like the rest of them are knucklehead. But God chose Abram. He changed his name. Why? Why? Why did He give him a name change? Father of many nations. Yeah, exactly right. So God calls his own, has authority over him. Circumcised him. What's the What's the visual of circumcision? Covenant, Painful, right? Sign. Yeah. yeah, But it's separation. It goes back to Genesis chapter one. The issue of circumcision is basically come back, and he's gonna he's gonna separate them. Okay. What's the, what's the word holiness mean?
1: Like consecrated or set apart?
0: Set, set apart. So what he's going to do is he said, hey, I'm going to build a nation out of you, verse 2, and I will make you a great and mighty nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Abraham's name great? No, I will make your name great. And I love this. And I will bless you. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth be blessed. So the idea here is he's going to take a, a nation, from a man who doesn't deserve it. He, he, Abram was a knucklehead. We don't have time to get into his story, but he was a knucklehead. I mean, the awkward situation almost sold his wife off. I mean, just almost gave her away, okay? So he had some character flaws, okay? But the issue is God made a nation out of him, and he promised him three things. The land, to bless his land, the seed, and to bless his, his the womb, okay? So land, seed, and blessing. And so all of a sudden, and we're going to see that this is what God does to separate us to know that we are his he's going to he, he give them the land, the promised land it's a picture of redemption he gives them the seed, to bless the blessed seed, make many mighty nations and all of a sudden he's going to bless them physically to be able to know that these guys are the children of God and that's the story of the bible why do I like Genesis? Genesis lays the foundation for all the stories to come together. Because if you don't know the, the backdrop, you don't know the, the first story, it's kind of like you're talking about you've watched Harry Potter in, in here in our movie theater. If you don't watch the first couple of series, how good are you in, in, in the seventh? No good. No good at all. Okay, so that's the issue. If you don't understand the foundation of Genesis, I don't think you're going to get the backstory. I'm going to get the rest of the story.
1: So just thinking through real quick just thinking through Abraham's line going down to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to Joseph what would you say are just maybe some like key things to think about as the story continues from chapter 13 to 50
0: so we see the, the we're going to see character issues with all those guys and we're going to see that each time we're going to see the story continue to grow and get bigger and bigger and more complex okay so Abraham had Isaac through the covenant promise but who is also the quote unquote the bastard child in the, in that relationship you had Isaac and you had Ishmael, right? And so you had the two different options, man's way, the two trees. He decided that uh, he he needed uh, uh, someone else because his wife couldn't get him pregnant. He couldn't get pregnant, so Sarah couldn't get pregnant. So he'd come back, and all of a sudden, they decided to do it man's way. And then all of a sudden, God said, mm, I'm going to do it my way. It's going to be a miracle child. You're going to be 90 years old. You're going to have a baby, and it's going to be the son of promise. And so here comes Isaac.
1: It's kind of interesting with the story of Isaac because when God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son and then he provides an alternate sacrifice, we kind of yeah. see the, the same substitutionary atonement model that we see later that's in the exactly Gospels. Right.
0: That's, that's exactly right. So so go back to your original question, so you got Abraham, you got Isaac, Who's, who comes after Isaac? Jacob. Jacob, your boy Jacob. Exactly right. And what happens from Jacob? You got the 12 tribes of Jacob, right? Did he have a name change? Israel. Yeah, yeah. When did, when did he get his name changed? When he wrestled with God, right? When he wrestled with God, that's a picture of salvation. When he wrestled with God, when he gave up being—I mean—and and, and he was a deceiver. All right, what what does Jacob mean? I'm getting ready to have a son-in-law in my name and in, in, in our family. His name is Jacob. We call him Jacob Bob. Jacob means heel grabber. Okay, coming out of the birth canal, they were twins. Okay, and he was Jacob, and he was the heel grabber, and he come back and tried to switch positions. And did he switch positions? And in 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 Israel culture, you have the um, the, the birthright went to the oldest okay and so the daddy gave the birthright and that was over 50 percent of the inheritance goes to the oldest okay so if you have two kids a lot of times it's over 66 percent of the, the birthright went to the oldest the reason is because it is his responsibility to take care of the rest of the family and so is so uh, so all of a sudden you have two boys wrestling around here and here comes Jacob and he was he was a scoundrel but one day he wrestled with God and wouldn't let go and God was so blessed by that he said I'm going to call you Israel and gave him a name change. Is Israel pretty big today? That name is still holding up today, right? For sure. And
1: then so just coming out of Jacob's story and then and thinking about Joseph. Mm-hmm. I think it's just really interesting because in Joseph's story, which takes up like the last 13 or 14 chapters of Genesis, we see all those all the threats to the line of Abraham, whether that be unrighteousness or marrying with foreign women or famine or division within the family. We see basically with Joseph all those things all those threats we be-
0: get overcome pretty much. That's exactly right. So we see in the story of the Bible, and we see all the side character. These are all minor characters because the story of the Bible is the faithfulness of God. It goes back to Genesis one and Genesis two. We see God approaching man, maintaining the relationship. Joseph wasn't always the greatest. He had some character issues, but you know he matured pretty well. Okay, and we just see that God continued to con- maintain his line, and we see his brothers who sold him off. They had some family fighting going on there. Okay, and then all of a sudden, but they they reconciled. We see a picture of salvation. They reconciled. But where do they end up? Where are they at the end of Genesis? Are they in the remember land, seed and blessing at the end of Genesis? They're in Egypt. Exactly right. So so we got we got an issue going on because they're not in the land because God came back and he punished them and he put them back in Egypt. But God's going to show the picture. And I love Exodus. is another good book. Oh, so good. Because it's a picture of salvation itself. We see them separated from God. We see them in in, in, in the opportunity where they're separated from God and dead to God. And then we see uh, they're in bondage. And we see just like in sin. All right, we're in bondage. We're separated from God. And then we're going to see the great deliverance was a story of the great deliverance taking Egypt out and how he sent the 10 plagues and all these great, crazy miracles, okay? And so he takes one brings them out and brings them to the to a place, and he takes them out, and then we see the, they put him on a journey. That's like our salvation story. Once he delivers us, he takes us out of bondage, and he puts us in the salvation story. We call it sanctification. And then the other two tools within the sanctification, what are the two things he gives in the rest of the Exodus? Got the Spirit and the Word. That's exactly right. The two things we need to get through the journey, okay? is the spirit in the world. He gives us the law in chapter 20, and then he gives the Holy Spirit, the dwelling of God, the indwelling of God in the temple. He gives them himself. And so we see, and that's the picture. If you want a picture of salvation, you have Romans. It's a great book, right? Because you have the picture of salvation. You have Ephesians, which is the kind of the the cliff notes version of Romans. Then you have, if you want a visual, if you like movies, you got Exodus because the whole story of Exodus is the picture, the typology of salvation.
1: That's awesome. So it's just really cool thinking about the end of Genesis and how it leads into Exodus, because at the end of Genesis, we do see that God has multiplied Abraham's line, like he says in chapter 47, but they don't end up in the land. And we don't know who the one is that's going to crush the serpent's head. So we don't have... Complete fulfillment. There's like a mystery to how it's going to continue to unfold. So
0: you continue through the Bible, you continue uh, through the Kings. We continue all this. You're looking for the seed, but you're seeing that God's holding His promise because He can't break a covenant. He can't break His promises. He cannot lie. That's part of His nature, being a holy God. You cannot lie, and so He's keeping His promises. And you're going to see some crazy stories, and then uh, you're going to see how God holds the line, holds the line, holds the line, and all of a sudden here comes Messiah. Not only does he send a prophet, but he sends a prophet. He sends the priest and the king, the three-in-one, the God-man, okay? the, the creative, He got really creative and came like, wow, that's pretty cool. And all of a sudden, here comes Christ. And what did they do with him?
1: Crucified yeah, him. Yeah,
0: crucified They killed him. They didn't want him. Why? Because it wasn't what they wanted. They wanted physical blessing, but they didn't want the spiritual blessing.
1: And this is great for like the help of our intro, because actually this fall we're talking about the Gospel of Mark on our podcast. Oh, that's awesome. And so it's just interesting to think about because the beginning of Mark chapter 1 is the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. And Mark's echoing the in-the-beginning story of Genesis and how through Jesus there's new creation. So that's awesome.
0: So that's that's the whole setup. So you can get into your your, your Mark gospel. You're going to see that, and then you're going to see to the very end. And uh, and that's why, that's why Genesis is one of my favorite books.
2: Thank you so much for going through all of Genesis with us. It was, it was really great. I'm sure anyone listening, I hope you guys got as much of it out of it as michael and i did because i think we both learned a ton just going through it with
0: you well thank you for inviting me man i'm a, I'm a fan i'm a follower now so uh, thank you for allowing me to be here and, and but the only problem is man why did i have to go after tommy nelson
1: <laughs> oh it's still brilliant
0: uh, you guys are awesome
1: thanks so much for being on again uh, i hope you guys enjoyed our time with mr snyder and hope that this just encourages you whether you've read genesis 20 times or zero just to dive into the first book of the bible and one of the best Amen. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys next time.